Radio. This is Chad Wallenberg here with my buddy Corey Kirkland. How's it going, Corey? Well, it's going pretty well. It's We're sitting here in the middle of a blizzard. The snow is pouring down outside. It is crazy, and it's stupid to have snow when it's flat and there's no mountains, but it's <laughs> where we are. Yeah, and it's ridiculously cold. You know? It is so cold. It's so cold that How every cold time I've gone outside, I've gotten a headache, like instantly. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know cold caused headaches, but it does, I promise. Yeah, because of that, and everybody, you know, who's listening to this, you know, knows that you know we're in the middle of this this historic storm and and that's why we're not having haven tonight just because it's dangerously cold outside and all that stuff and so um you know uh, and so you and i decided to sit down and revive our haven audio podcast that we started during the pandemic and it's kind of nice to be sitting around the fire with you it really is we're having us a little fireside chat we've got our chairs pulled up to the fireplace in in uh my living room and I was thinking today, one of the blessings from the pandemic and the quarantine and all the things that we've had to deal with is we are so prepared for whatever comes now. Yes. Like this morning, lunchtime or so, you and I were talking and one of us said, I'm really worried about the weather. I don't know what to do. And I said, could we put together a podcast in one day? And you said, well, yeah. <laughs> and it was that easy. And yeah. that... A year ago, we'd have just not had anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I might have tried to do a little devotion on my phone, but sometimes those don't go well. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and that's what, um, you know, I noticed the same thing with our pastors. You know, last Sunday, we had to cancel our service, and, um, you know, we made that call um, oh, around Thursday or so um, and decided to go ahead and start preparing for it. And it's just like everybody just dropped into their roles. You know, everybody dropped into, well, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And it was so simple. And I just remember when the pandemic started and all that stuff, I mean, it was a huge shift in our working lives, you know, and and there are so many negative things that's come from the pandemic. Um, but it's kind of nice to see you something we're better at because of the pandemic, you know, <laughs> fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, uh, you know, we've, we've revived our podcast, and, and you and I have decided to just go ahead and uh, stick with the, the theme for the spring. You know, the, um, you've been teaching through Ecclesiastes week in and week out, and, and uh, we're just going to continue on that in Ecclesiastes 4, right? Yeah, we sure are, and partly because, frankly, we, just, we're, we don't have enough Wednesdays to get done if we don't use them all. But also, I really am excited about the scripture we're going to look at today and the format that we're about to do, a podcast, which is just two buddies sitting around talking. The Bible says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and you're one of those guys in my life. And I'm excited to talk about our friendship today as we talk about friendship in Ecclesiastes. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about that as well. And you know that we... talked about in Haven how Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. It is. And, you know, this is one of those topics that, um, you know, a lot of times the wisdom books, it's hard to know what to do with them, you know. Uh, They're a little bit harder to preach through. Uh, When when you've taught through things like the epistles or the the letters in the New Testament or through, through the historical books or even through 
things like the law, like, you know, things that uh, a lot of people see as intimidating in the Bible, like Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and all of that stuff, right? Um, to me, personally, when I've taught, you know, the wisdom books have been more intimidating than, than all of the other most intimidating feeling scriptures to teach through. And I think a big part of that is because um, they, they have to do more with, um, you know, things that we see as kind of squishy and uncomfortable, like feelings and like how we see the world. And, and they, they use different literary techniques that, uh, that are uh, where, where they take kind of, they look at patterns and they draw from those patterns and, and speak into to our lives. And, and um, you know, because of that, they've been very impactful in my life, but they've always been hard to teach through. So if I can go ahead and be a little bit of a redneck for a minute. When I think of the wisdom books, particularly Proverbs, but also Psalms, I, and even Song of Solomon, I think of them as cow-feeding books. And what I mean by that is, it's like the kind of stuff my dad would say to me while we're feeding the cows when I'm a kid. When we're yes. sitting in the truck, and he would just randomly make this comment about life, or this comment, or this comment, and they're not so much structured in the way of one cohesive argument yeah. or one cohesive story. They're just lessons about how to live life. And they're the kind of things my dad would say to me when we were feeding the cows. Mm -hmm. and, and I've always thought of Proverbs particularly that way and also Psalms. But as I said, even Song of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Ecclesiastes is a little bit different. We've talked about Ecclesiastes, while it is a book of wisdom and the way you read it, the principles of a book of wisdom, like we talked about this summer and we've talked about a lot at our sessions this spring, apply. But Ecclesiastes is a little bit more cohesive, yeah. a little bit more one train of thought, because Ecclesiastes is essentially the story of a man who's a believer who is fighting through a thick cloud of depression. Yes. And he's working his way through this melancholy mm -hmm. and this misery. And we looked at Ecclesiastes quite a bit this summer when we talked about depression. In fact, we looked at Ecclesiastes probably more than any other book this summer when we were doing our podcast because it does have such practical wisdom on so many things. Mm -hmm. But the structure of the book is one man working through this feeling of meaningless and depression, meaninglessness and depression. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so um, let's, let's jump out from that. You know, he, he's fighting through the, this depression. And just by way of background, in case somebody's listening to this episode and they haven't been with us on Wednesday nights, um, how, does, how does he do that in chapters 1 through 3? What, what's some of the background that we should talk about before we dive into Ecclesiastes 4? So Ecclesiastes 4 starts out with Solomon saying, life sure seems meaningless. What's the point? And he begins by systematically, what we might say scientifically, by the process of elimination, taking all the things that are potential to give life meaning and to make us happy and eliminating them one at a time. He talks about money and power and fame and sex. And 
one at a time, he says, this too is meaningless. This too is meaningless. And he eliminates all these things as being a reason to be happy, as a source for happiness. Then he moves on to eternity, and he has this amazing line. He says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. And he talks about the theme of judgment, about the, the fact that we know there's going to be a judgment day. And he expresses concern because he says, I don't know what's going to happen on that day. I don't know how I'm going to be judged. I don't know where I'm going to go. He says, I don't know if I'm going to go above or below. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about the wisest man who ever lived that God gave wisdom to, who's the king of Israel, who wrote a big chunk of the Old Testament as not being secure in his salvation. But he didn't have Jesus. Yeah. He didn't have the New Testament. He wasn't on this side of the cross, as, as some people would say. And so he didn't know that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. His hope of salvation really was a hope yeah. that it was going to work out. And Jesus died for him and paid for his sins, but it looked a little different. And so he's to the point that he's still scared in this book, but we can take assurance from some of the things he's scared of. And in the same sign, he says the other problem with life is some people don't have a comforter. Yeah. And he uses this word. We're probably going to edit this out, but just in case we don't, that was Hank giving a shout out. He needed to go to the bathroom. It's negative 10 degrees outside, so we'll see how bad he needs to go to the bathroom and how long he stays yeah, out there. about 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so... He says, the problem is there are some people that don't have anyone that loves them and they don't have a comforter. Mm -hmm. And he says, it's not just better to be dead than alive. It's better to never be born than to be alone. Mm -hmm. And there's this solitude that just eats at him. And again, we get to skip ahead in a way he doesn't because we have John 16, 7, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you and after me, there will come a comforter. Yes. Talking about the Holy Spirit using the same word, this word comforter, to come be with us so that we're never alone. So what we have so far is Solomon has laid out fundamental echoes in our soul that haunt us. Mm -hmm. This concept of eternity that's in our heart and this concept of, of solitude. And he lays those out and Jesus answers those questions word for word when he comes. And so at this point, we're a little bit at an Empire Strikes Back moment from his standpoint because we're at the dark, dark time before the Jedi's come back. Yeah. But from our point, we know the way it ends and it feels good. So it's like the second time you watch the Empire Strikes Back when you know, oh, here comes Luke Skywalker. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a little bit more enjoyable for us. And that's kind of where we have gone to so far. And today we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through, I think, verse 16. Is that right, Chad? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're going to read for us? Yeah. Um, yeah, let me, verse 4 starts like this. I saw that all labor and skillful work is due to a man's jealousy of his friend. This, too, is futile and a pursuit of the wind. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. 
Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort in pursuit of the wind. Again, I saw futility under the sun. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or a brother, and though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with his riches. So who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself from good? This too is futile and a miserable task. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from prison to be a king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw that all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before him, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. Thanks, Chad. That's kind of hard to read, I know. He, uh, well, it's poetry. Yeah. Poetry is always hard to read. Yeah. So, it's a good time, though, to mention that what we have here in this passage is a transition. Mm-hmm. So, we started out dealing with man and God, really, in the first three chapters. And now we've moved to dealing with man and man. Mm-hmm. And that really comes back, as all these things come to the New Testament, that really comes back to what Jesus said were the greatest commandments, right? What Jesus said were the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love others. Those are the two commandments. And the first part of this book, the first three chapters, are love God. Now we're moving into, in chapter 4, the love others half of that commandment. And... He really, again, in his scientific, systematic way of doing things, breaks down why we do things. So there are four ways that he identifies being the reasons that we work, the reasons we work hard, the purpose of our labor. And he doesn't get super spiritual here, right? He's real practical. Yeah. And it's, very, it's very observational. Right? It is. He, he looks around him and sees <clears throat> these things, right? And the first thing he says is to keep up with others or jealousy of others. In other words, to keep up with the Joneses. How often do we get a new car because our neighbor got a new car? Or some new shoes because our classmate got some new shoes? Or probably the big one now is a phone. Yeah. But how often do we do things just to keep up with status? Just to keep up with everybody else. And he says one of the big reasons we do things is because of spite for others. Now, I, I don't need to tell you that doesn't work. And he says that's meaningless and that's futile. Mm-hmm. And so often in our lives when we say, I've got to spend here, or I've got to do here, I've got to do there, it leads us to just be unhappy and broke mm-hmm. or tired or broke and tired, yeah. which he mentions in the next thing because the next reason he says people work is to hoard up for themselves. And he says, what are you even struggling for? You have no one to give it to. You have no family. And he says it's better to have one handful and not be so tired. Mm-hmm. And 
so often we have this he who dies with the most toys wins, this mine, 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 it's mine. Kind of, this kind of Ebenezer Scrooge attitude, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And again, he says that's, he, he says this pathetic. Mm-hmm. He says, what's the point of that? Um, and he's almost mocking of, of the person who does that. Yeah. And, and you've got to realize there's some self-awareness because we're talking about the richest man on earth at this point, mm-hmm. probably. But who's already said, no matter how much money you have, you'll never have enough. And he lays out and says, the big reason people work so hard is just to have more stuff. And he says, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Keeping up with the Joneses, waste of time. No reason to have a job. Having as much stuff as your neighbor, not good enough. Just being rich and having things for yourself is not enough. And then he says our legacy. Now think about that. How many people do you know, particularly late in life, who think about their legacy, what they're going to be remembered for from their job, from their work. Mm -hmm. And they think, who's going to know me for this or for that? Would I be in the Hall of Fame of judges or the Hall of Fame of school teachers or whatever the case may be? Are people going to remember me? And Solomon says, you can't count the generations that have come before you and they won't be able to count the generations that come after you. And he says, you won't be remembered. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me of something Michael said in his sermon. I think it was this week. It might have been last week. Yeah. He said, and I know he was quoting someone else, but I don't know that person. I know Michael, so I'm <laughs> quoting him. He said, preach the gospel until you die and then be forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, don't worry about who remembers you. Worry about who remembers Jesus, because ain't nobody going to remember you very long. Yeah. Well, and that's, um, you know, that reminds me of some of the discussion we've had early in our discussion about Ecclesiastes, you know. Um, and, and we've talked about what things are eternal, right? What what things actually last, right? And and really, the, the two created things that last are the Word of God and the souls of men, right? That, that is the those are the only eternal things, right? And I, if I can tell a, a silly story to illustrate this, when I graduated high school, we have a field house at Warica, and where I was. And in the weight room at every station, squats, bench, incline, power cleans, front squat, every station we have on the wall, on the concrete wall, they have the person's name who holds the record at that lift. And when I graduated high school, I thought I was big and bad because I had every record at every lift. Mm -hmm. My name was written by every station in the weight room. And I thought that meant I was somebody really special. Then a couple of years come by and I go by the weight room to like pick something up from one of the football coaches that I was friends with. And I go in and I notice that's not my name behind the bench. I turn and look. And there is one kid who's in the ninth grade, and he has changed everything. He said, every, I don't have any names there. Mm-hmm. And I'd only been gone two years. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this will be my legacy forever. In my mind, I pictured people telling their kids how strong I had been. Mm-hmm. Two years later, a kid in junior high beats me. Yeah. Because life's not about being remembered. And I'm glad, because if it is, my life would be over, and I'd be a failure before I ever began. But it doesn't matter because it's not about living for the future where people remember you or they don't. 
Because there's only two things, like you said, God's Word and men's souls. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two things that really matter. So Michael says, preach the gospel and be forgotten. And that's the best advice you can get. It's really freeing. It is. So the four things, the four reasons people do things, keeping up with the Joneses, getting rich and staying rich and being remembered, all three of those, Solomon concludes, are meaningless. They're all meaningless. They're all worthless. At this point, it kind of sounds like you should just stay in bed, maybe roll out, play some video games, go back to bed. Sounds like he's kind of advocating being lazy, which is funny because we're going to talk about in a minute that in the first three chapters, he said that one of the best gifts God can give you is to enjoy your work. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying, why work? But then we get to this fourth thing, Chad. What's the fourth thing? The fourth thing is to be a blessing to others. That's right. Bless others with what you do. That's absolutely right. And he says... Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. Yeah. Now, if two people make $100, how much do they each have? 50. If one person makes $100, how much does he have? 100. So that math doesn't, doesn't seem to work, does it? Well, yeah, but it's not a math problem. Yeah. Right? He didn't say a good wage. He said a good reward. Yeah. That's exactly right. Right. If two people enjoy their day of work together and make slightly less... They had a better day at work. Right? And they help each other, too. Yeah. And, and it's easier to be productive and, and all of those things, you know. Um, I think about it, you know, with, uh, uh, with something that is as far from work as, as you can get, right? You know, you and I talk about how much we love snow skiing all the time, right? And last year, uh, we went on a few trips together, and, and towards the end of the year, I, uh, I had a day left on a pass, and I went this crazy trip. I left at 3 a.m. one day and um, left at 3 a.m., drove nine hours out to the mountain, mountain, skied all day, and then drove nine hours back, ended up getting back. You know, it was like a 24-hour day or something like that. Um, and I remember kind of thinking when I came back, you know, this is my favorite thing to do. And it was a fun day of skiing. I would do it again, you know. Um, in fact, I, I hit my lifetime top speed that day I, I went 67 miles an hour down the, down the slope and it was a lot of fun but I remember thinking on the way back you know it's just not the same going out throughout this whole process without my friends with me right it's, yeah. it's just not the same and and I think that that work is the same way right so often um you know I hear people talk about work and I think about my own work and you know uh a lot of times when we think of work to work in an abstract way, we think of, well, how much money am I going to make? What, what kind of things am I going to get to do at work? All that stuff, right? But when we talk about work in a concrete way, a lot of times the, uh, the things we end up talking about are the people we work with, right? I do. I have several responsibilities at the church. I handle finances. I, I, do, I do things like that. But most of the time, if somebody asks me, do you like your job? You know, what do you think about your job? I say, man, the the people I work with, the pastors I work with are awesome. And I love going to work every day because I love the people I work with, you know. And things that we do actually kind of fade into the background a little bit. At least they do for me and for the people I tend to talk to on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I love the way you sort of segued the blessing of, 
who you work with as opposed to the monetary rewards and those type of things. Yeah. Because they're not really opposites. They're just factors. Mm-hmm. You know, Solomon says in verse 224, like we talked about, that one of the greatest blessings we can have is to enjoy our work. Mm-hmm. But another wonderful blessing we can have Sometimes we don't love our work, but we love the people our work provides for. Yes, exactly. And one of the great blessings we can have is just the opportunity to love somebody. There have been times that I've gone to work, not because I really enjoyed that day of work, because I love my wife, I love my son, I want to provide for them. Mm-hmm. I want I want Cade to have the best childhood he can have to prepare him to be the man God wants him to be. I want to provide for my wife. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. He says that to his bride, the church. I'm called to treat my bride the same way. So I have to live so that my wife might have life and have it more abundantly, which means I work really hard to provide for her, to bless her, to give her everything I can so that her life is as abundant as possible, spiritually, physically, emotionally, every way I can, financially, I try to provide for my wife to have an abundant life. And there's that great line I always think of, George Foreman, one of my favorite favorite athletes of all time, and you know, anymore people don't even know who he is, or they think he's the guy that made the grills. Yeah. But George Foreman was a bad man when he was heavyweight champion of the world. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> George Foreman once said, those punches only hurt when you're rich. He said, when I was poor, nothing hurt. You could hit me as many times as you wanted, and you were standing between me and my money, and I didn't care. It didn't hurt. He said, but once I got a Rolls Royce, I didn't like getting hit in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something to that. Yeah. You've got to have a reason for your work. Mm-hmm. People. Yeah. People that you love, people that you care about, because it's about those relationships. I don't know if there's anybody on earth that really enjoys emptying septic tanks. Mm-hmm. If you if that's the way God made you, that's awesome, you're blessed. Right? Ecclesiastes 2:24. <laughs> but I bet you most people who drain septic tanks love getting paid and using that money to provide for their family. Yeah. They love their their wife, they love their spouse, they love their kids. They love all those things that that provides for. Not You're not going to be happy if it's just a give me, give me, give me, let me accumulate these things. But if you have someone you love to invest in, mm-hmm. all of a sudden this miserable work can be worthwhile work. Yeah. Well, and that's and, the good reward for your labor. Yeah. And that, you know, this just screams to me that that biblical principle from the New Testament, you know, the last will be first and the first will be last, right? Um, and, and I think, you know, you've been illustrating this whole time, um, you know, really the trick to enjoying your work is to work for the people you love. Exactly. Work for the good of the people you love, whether that be your family, you know, and that needs to be your family first if you've got a family, but for um, the good of your friends, for the good of your community, that those are the types of things that give that type of work meaning and purpose. Absolutely. Now, Chad, I think somewhere there's somebody listening to this podcast and I'm, I'm actually thinking of a few students by name, but I'm not going to call you out on the podcast, but you probably <laughs> know I'm thinking of you. 
who says, wait, 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 Corey, wait, wait. What about, we're supposed to do everything to glorify God. So are we supposed to work for people or work for God? How would you answer that question, Chad? Well, those aren't mutually exclusive. You know, I mean, I think a lot of times it's easy to um, uh, just just take the glory of God as an abstract thing, right? And uh, in which it exists both in concrete and abstract ways, of course. But um, the love of people on this earth is one of the primary ways that we show that that we share the glory of God. You know, I'm I'm a big proponent of the idea of um, you know, we most glorify God when we enjoy Him, and we encourage others' enjoyment of Him as well, right? And when we work to serve other people, we are a physical embodiment of God's love and His provision and His commitment to His people. That's right. James said it like this, You show me your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. We glorify God by blessing other people in God's name. Mm-hmm. And so... We do serve other people, but we do it in a way that glorifies God and makes it clear that God is our Savior. Yes. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah, because really, you know, um, if, we, if we work to serve other people in such a way that we're making those people our idols, right, where we're putting those people above God, um, in a lot of ways, uh, that, that falls under that hoarding for ourselves category that Solomon talked about, right? When we, when we want to... Uh, you know, we work for other people and we're trying to, you know, as soon as they become an idol, as soon as we elevate them above God, it starts to cause problems in that, right? And I, th- and I think that it's important to point that out. Like, this is all, you know, assuming a right ordering of the priorities in our life, right? When we work for others as a service of our king, right, that is, that's the, uh, that's the ticket. Awesome. And so, um, you know, we look at this, and so much of this is relational, right? Um, and so, um, and so much of Song of Solomon is relational. And, you know, we talk about our love for others, for our family, and that, and our love for others includes things like friendship and uh, things like our, our earthly relationships with our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ and just the, the people that we share our lives with. And I think that there are a lot of benefits in, in including that category of friendship in this discussion and thinking about that as well. Yeah, Solomon kind of, he, he segues from the reason you work is to, to bless your friends mm-hmm. to then saying, and here's, here's some great things about having friends. Yeah. And he lists those. And so the first thing he lists, we already talked about, which is, we were made to love others and it's a reward unto itself to bless others yeah. because that's the way God made us. He put the requirements of God's law on our hearts. He wrote them in. And one of those requirements is love others, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. It's the number two commandment. Yeah. And so it's a reward of itself to have those relationships. But what are some other rewards that he lays out here, Chad? Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we need we need help. We, we need, we need other people as we go through life. You know, God never intended for us to be just, uh, the, the, the lonely person out in the wilderness, right? There, there's a reason that, that Jesus went out into the wilderness to face temptation on his own. We were talking last night, actually, sitting yeah. by this fireplace about 
the Lone Ranger has his best friend everywhere he goes. Tonto's there. Exactly. He's not even alone. Exactly. And how stupid and sad that is. I don't think I've ever seen that TV show. And maybe it's just not very woke. I don't know. But for some <laughs> reason, they call him Lone, even though his, he's got Tonto with him everywhere he goes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? <clears throat> I think. Yeah. I mean, that's as far as like, I'm with you. I've never seen the show, but as far as the way I understand that, based on the cop, pop culture references I've experienced, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we were talking about that just to bring it into more kind of current, uh, you know, times. We were talking about superhero movies and Marvel, and I, yeah, and, and like so we were talking about Wandavision. We've been watching Wandavision, and 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 you know, Hulk. Uh, Hulk is a hero does best when he's surrounded by some, when he's with somebody else, right? Like Thor Ragnarok is the best Hulk movie and it's a Thor movie because he's with Thor. Right. And, uh, and by the way, Thor Ragnarok Ragnarok is the best Thor movie because Hulk's in it. Yes, exactly. Right. And, and, uh, but anyway, that we were just kind of geeking out and, and talking about, you know, the stories we love and that came up, but you know, I mean, it's true though. We, we need other people. We, some of us are more introverted. Some of us are more extroverted. That's true, but we all need other people. In fact, you know, just to give you a concrete example, my house, the water is frozen up in my house, and I need Corey's shower if I'm going to, if I'm, you know, going to not smell bad tomorrow, right? And so I've came over here the last couple of days and, and used y'all's shower and cleaned up and stuff since I don't have water. You know, even something as concrete and as, as small as that, you know, it's just great to have friends. It is. To step in when life kind of throws little inconveniences like that at us. It is. And Solomon here, he breaks down some structure that. He says two are better than one because if one falls down, the other can pick him up. Yeah. We need friends to pick us up when we fall. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. We're going to need help. Yeah. And friends do that. They help each other all the time. I call, I call you all the time and say, hey, can you do this for me? Can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's because I've messed something up. I need someone to pick me up. He also says friends provide fellowship. Now, this sounds a little bit uncomfortable in our macho world we live in now. But he says one lies down, he's cold. Two get together, they're warm. I understand that more today because, Chad, I can honestly say if I had to camp outside with you tonight, I would be cuddling. you dang right. <laughs> I would be cuddling. In fact, <laughs> when, when I was in college, uh, there were some girls from the BSU, and you guys have heard me say this before, but the BSU that I grew up in at OU was super, super strict, like so much so that like guys and girls weren't generally supposed to sit together in the same seat on the bus on the way to Glorietta yeah, and super strict. And these girls decided they were going to sleep outside the stadium all night before OU played Nebraska in 2000, before we won the national championship. Uh-huh. And they come to me and they're like, how do you, do you have a sleeping bag or something? I don't remember the question they asked, but I was like, so let me get this straight. You 18 year old girls are just gonna lay down in Norman, Oklahoma on the grass all night long and hurt, hope nobody assaults you, nobody hurts you, nobody robs you. And they were like, yeah, we'll be fine. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'll go with you. So we all went outside the stadium. And that night it got really cold and we were all very appropriate and distance apart and all these things. Everybody goes to sleep. When we wake up, there is one big pile and I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> and we are all tangled like a ball. Mm-hmm. 
because yeah, because it was cold. Because it was cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and sometimes friendship is humbling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to be kind of real, right? Yeah. And and express, I need some warmth. And yeah. that's that's really what this is literally about. And so we've got friends help us when we mess up. They pick us up. Friends give us fellowship along the way for life. And friends keep us from messing up. He says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Yeah. And accountability is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And godly advice, godly counsel is a real thing. And when we get away from our friends and our support group, we're a lot more likely to make big mistakes. Yeah. And in need f- someone to pick us up. Yeah. And in fact, you know, um, <clears throat> as uh, people who, who think about, um, an area of ministry who, uh, you know, um, Corey is, is in charge of the Haven and, and I come in as, as, a, as a helper as well. And, and we think about you guys and we, you know, pray for you guys and, you know, throughout the years and stuff like that. One of the things you learn when you, um, you, when you try to invest into people, when you lead people and, and all of those things is that one of the first signs that someone is about to go astray is they cut off fellowship from their friends. Absolutely. Right. Um, and that, you know, you look at this kind of third point, I mean, that, that's very true. You know, a lot of times it's a lot easier to um, purposefully make bad decisions if we cut off ties with some of our friends that are going to keep us accountable. And it's a circle. Yeah. Because if we drift away and we make those bad decisions, that's when we really need a friend to come pick us up. Yep. And it all goes together. And we've all been at different points in the circle. And wherever you are in the circle today... If you're somebody who's drifted away from those relationships, you need to seek out a friend and let them pick you up. Mm-hmm. If you've got a buddy that's drifted away, you need to go pick them up. Mm-hmm. And if if life is good right now, enjoy the fellowship. Yep. Enjoy the those, warmth. And and build and invest in those friendships. Make make uh, deposits into that friendship bank because someday you're going to fall over and you're going to need to make a withdrawal. Absolutely. Yeah. And so while we talk about the friendship bank. Let's talk a little bit about how do we apply this passage. In other words, we've decided friends are good. How do you get some of those, Chad? Um, well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when we you know, just kind of taking a, a page out of our early discussion, you know, when we work for others, our work becomes meaningful, you know. And when we, when we look at our relationships and think, okay, where can I in, invest real time into building meaningful relationships you know if we look for someone to invest in that friendship with i think that that is is one of the the best first places to start and honestly that that looks like a church family right well you just you just laid out two things so let's break these down because you just you just kind of covered almost everything well the first thing you said is be a friend Mm -hmm. right so look for ways to invest in other people if you want to have a friend be a friend because that's the way friendship works and we look for people to reach out to. And Jesus said it like this. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's yep. the golden rule is literally be friends with people. I mean, that, that's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And the next thing you said is go where you're going to encounter the kind of people you want relationships with. Like church, like the Haven, like BCM. Places where you're going to be around believers who will lift you up when you fall, who will keep you accountable who will enjoy fellowship because the Bible says, what fellowship does light have with dark? Mm -hmm. 
You're not going to have a close, godly Christian friend with someone who's not a Christian. And so invest in those places. And you really covered it, but there's one other thing that I just want to throw out there. People in ministry who are authorities in ministry, and we talked about this in our podcast this summer, love to play friendship matchmaker. (laughs) And if you feel like, man, I don't have any friends, come talk to me. I bet I know somebody pretty well at the Haven, at the BCM, at First Baptist Chickasha, at USAO, who you'd really hit it off with. You don't want to talk to me, talk to Chad, talk to Elizabeth, talk to Andrew, talk to Lisa. There are people who know people, and we would love to connect you, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. The best relationships in the Bible happen when people meet people, going all the way back to when Andrew introduced his brother to some guy he met named Jesus. Yep. All, about, all through the Bible, the best friendships are established through introductions. Yeah. And and there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm lonely. Hey, I need some friends. Help me find some. And we would love to help you and be that resource. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we treat the relationships in our life, you know, starting with friendship and moving on towards, you know, um, to, to all different types of relationships. A lot of times we, we overcomplicate that, right? And, and we, we get in our own heads about like, well, you know, I just – if, if, if a friend just doesn't naturally, like, come out of the woodwork and, and you know, we don't just naturally hit it off from our, our, our lives, there's no, you know, that's not a genuine friendship. And that's just not true, you know. If, if you come to me or to Corey or to, to any of us and say, hey, you know what, I've noticed a need in my life. I, I need more godly friendships. We're going to celebrate that with you, and we're going to jump in and be like, all right, let's go. Let's uh Let's figure something out for you. Let's do that thing. It's, it's the equivalent of saying, you know what? I, um, I haven't, I haven't been reading my Bible enough. I need, I need some help in, in establishing this discipline. Or, or you know what? I've, I'm, I'm, there's, I have this area in my life that I need to become closer to the Lord in, or more obedient in. Help me with that. It's, it's the same thing. I love that you said that. Like friendships come out of projects. When we work hand in hand, and the Bible talks about working hand in hand and building those relationships, not even just work. Like we talk about ski trips on every podcast, and this yeah. is one more. But so one of our other very best friends, Patrick, was yeah. in came over the other night, and he was in the hot tub. Pat Phillips, and we were talking about ski trips, and he said, "I hate the drive, but I love the drive." Yeah. He said, because it's eight hours in the car and it's the best part and the worst part all at once. Because mm-hmm. all the stories that we tell make new stories and yeah. they make new memories. And that work part of the trip is as good as the play part of the trip. Because yeah. that's the way God made us. We work hand in hand and we just enjoy it. And it's yeah. pretty great. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, I think that I think we've got a lot to run on. Um, we do. Do you have a Do you have a closing statement or, or any last words that you'd like to put in before we before we close things down? Just this. I love you guys, and I miss you very much. Because when I read these passages and I read Solomon say, "Who are you working for?" Mm-hmm. I think of you guys, yeah. because you're why we do what we do. Chad, can you close us in prayer? Yep, I'd love to. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for friendship. I thank you so much for 
um, just the relationships you give us and the, and the ways that you help us to make purpose in our lives. Lord, as we work, um, both Corey and I and, and everyone listening to this podcast, as we work towards our goals, whether that be academic goals or um, relational goals or um, career goals or, or any of those things, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be properly motivated. I pray that you would help us to to work for the good of others, to work to serve, not to work to hoard up things on our own or to leave leave a meaningless legacy or any of those things that you would help us to be properly motivated because I know that's where the true joy comes from. Lord, I pray for all of our students as they um, as they handle this cold and as they um, work through this semester, Lord, I pray that you would show them the friends in their life. I pray that you would show them the the ways that they can make a difference, make an impact for others. Lord, I pray this in your name. Hey guys, see you Sunday, see you next week.